Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 88th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association online discussion about all things woodworking. Today will be a discussion between our two co-hosts, Sean and Diami. How are you doing, Diami? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you? All right. It's doing the video thing this time. It's interesting seeing you. <laughs> it is nice. <laughs> well, let's hope the bandwidth holds up. Yeah, I think it might be all right. Well, that's trouble. Tonight, uh, we're sans guest again, but I, I think the, the last meeting of ours where we just discussed woodworkers versus artists seems to have been well-received. I was honestly a little nervous about how it would go over, but <laughs> seems to have been well-received. All the feedback I received was positive, so hopefully everyone liked it. And not that we plan to change the format of the show, but every once in a while we're going to have these episodes and we happen to have another opportunity to do one. So here we are. So I want to jump right into the topic. Yes. And um, again, as I did last time, I'm kind of struggling to put the proper phrasing on the topic. But I want to talk about tools and about value from tools, brand loyalty to tools, um, how you go about selecting tools. So I think let me start by asking you a question. Um, When you're picking tools, do you – for any given tool and let's – I don't know. Let's say a hand plane, since I know you do a lot of handwork. Um, If you need a particular plane, are you immediately going to a plane maker, a particular brand of plane, and you need a number four, so you're going to go to Lee Nielsen and get the number four. And when it's time for a number seven, you go to Lee Nielsen to buy the number seven. Or are you, you know, you need a number four, so you're shopping. You look at you look at Lee Nielsen. You look at um, you look at Veritas. You see what Scott Meeks got out there, and you pick the best one, and then. You know, are you are you choosing the exact plane based on an overall comparison, or are you you find the brand that works and you stay within the brand? Uh, for me, it's definitely uh, it's a comparison. Um, I and so you you throw also into there when you're dealing with hand tools, which I do predominantly use. <clears throat> um, you've got the vintage market as well, and mm-hmm. there's a whole that whole mess about what to get and how much you want to put into it. As far as fixing it up and yeah, I mean, I have some vintage Stanley planes. I have some Veritas router plane. I've got a Lee Nielsen tongue and groove plane. Um, So for me, it has, it's come down to what, I mean, somewhat what, what is better reviewed or uh, I, if I get my hands on it, that's a major plus. Um, and then cost does play a role, you know. Um, but in something specific like the tongue and groove plane, Stanley made one. There's vintage ones. Lee Nielsen makes one that's new and mm-hmm. doesn't need to be tuned up. And so I went that route. Um, now, is that a case where there's no other modern competitor to Lee Nielsen for that particular plane? So it's basically it's only the decision between ref- – uh, you know, clean up an old one or buy new. So you don't, if you're buying new, you're going Lee Nielsen. That's your only choice. Yeah. To my knowledge and that specific one. Yes. I don't okay. think another plane maker and the, the big ones as far as um, Bailey style, Stanley, typical old bench planes are, are Veritas and, 
and Lee Nielsen, obviously. There are mm-hmm. others. There, and then there are the ones that you can get a Woodcraft of, of foreign make. Which, yeah, I've, I've heard relatively good things about the Woodcraft. They're not, yeah. they're not the, the level of the Lee Nielsen and the Veritas, but in terms of cost versus quality, they seem to be a better value. It's like 80% the quality at 50% the cost or something like right. that. Right. And I do have – I have a Wood River number four. Okay. Um, that I actually got from a friend of mine, so I didn't even buy that one. But um, it, you notice little things on those, and that's you know, again using them uh, is a huge advantage. Anytime you can get, go to a show, go to a store, go to a shop, somebody else, and actually see how something works mm-hmm. is huge. You know, I've never, I've only used a saw stop because I went to Dave Fashuto's house and he has a sauce stop, you know? <laughs> so otherwise I'd have no, I I've seen videos of hot dogs going through them, but I have no idea how the things actually work. Okay. You know? Um, but so for, for me, it, it is a combination of use quality and price. Um, I'm, I am one that would rather not skimp because of cost I'd rather get something I know is going to work and work for a long time. Okay. So quality kind of maybe trumps so cost. Sometimes. Would you say that you're you're falling back to the old adage of buy your last tool first, regardless of brand, whatever the particular tool is, you want to make sure that you're going to get one that's going to be well built and last as long as you need it to. In it, yeah, when when available, yes. When I was getting into this, when I was starting to do, I didn't start doing hand tool work, but when I started to transition into there, there were some definite budget buys. I bought saws for forty dollars, you know, and definitely, and that's to say, like as far as um, like I would love a bad axe saw. Mm-hmm. Haven't saved the pennies up to get one yet, you know, and that's a purely a money thing. I know it'll work better than what I have. I know. Okay. It. But uh, it, it it I so I guess to go back to the simple question, brand loyalty? No, brands don't mean anything to me. It's it's about the quality of it and the use of it. Sometimes you can't get it everywhere, you know. Uh, and that's very specific when you're talking about hand tools. There's this kind of a closed set of things that are, are that are out there. Mm. Um, when you go to power tools, and I do use power tools from time to time. My dad has a a, a finished shop. Um, he, I think, is a very uh, brand-based person. I think that's a, almost a generational thing, not necessarily, okay. but um, he has almost exclusively Jet and Powermatic. Okay. And is there he, a conscious connection that they're owned by the same company, or he just happens to like the two brands? I'm not sure. I know they are, <laughs> but I don't know that he's he, he cares too much about that. Okay. To say that he's going to mix a Bosch in Milwaukee and all this other stuff, you know, for his chop saws in Milwaukee, um, but and he's a review hound. I mean, it's it's nice when you can get other feedback. I think for that because you know, unless you get extensive use on something that you're going to use, mm-hmm. how do you know it's going to work best for you? I mean, when you got your glide saw, what made you land on the glide saw? Um, it was that was a saw that took me a lot. Uh, it wasn't a lot of consideration, but the process of choosing a miter saw was a lot of consideration because it came about shortly after I moved, and I had an old uh, DeWalt 12-inch compound slide miter saw, and mm-hmm. it was the older style with the two rails set horizontal to each other, not vertical to each other. It was right. the original one, and there was nothing fancy about that saw, 
but it was fantastic. It was dead accurate. It performed very well. Um, and I absolutely loved that saw. However, because it had the full rails, I built a bench for it in my old shop. And my old shop was a, I think it was 14 by 16. It was a relatively square room. Okay. And I had space in it. And the table I built to house the saw was 37 inches deep because of those rails. Oh, my God. So it was a, it was a massive table. And it worked very well, but it took up a ton of space. So now I buy my new house and I move into a one-car garage that is less than 10 foot wide. <laughs> I don't have 37 inches to take up along an entire wall just for my miter saw. So when I, when I was setting up the new shop, I, I was forced to buy a new saw for space reasons. So at the time that I, that I bought the house, the Capex was relatively new but was mm-hmm. on the market. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to Festool as a brand in a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but – I saw the Capex and could instantly see the advantage over the DeWalt in terms of space savings because the Capex has rails that pro- – for anyone who doesn't know, the Capex yeah. has rails that project forward towards wow. the user and the saw head glides on the rails. The rails don't move. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has – compared to the DeWalt or Milwaukee or the Makita or any other sliding compound miter saw, it takes the, – the Capex takes up – dramatically less space behind the body of the saw. Um, but the Capex is typical Festool in that they ignore convention and seem to do it their way. And they often fix something that's not broken, I find, when they do it that way. Okay. Um, so the the Capex has um, – it has a vertical handle, which was contrary to my horizontal handle on my DeWalt. Not a big deal, but just something else I had to get used to, but really right. a token difference. Right. Um, it has uh, one of the two rails that comes forward. You, there's a knobby and you can twist, and that's how you bevel the saw side to side. Okay. Or, um, you know, you still you swing it side to side. I, I'm not going to it's, – it's bevel, and what's the other – I'm staring uh, at my saw now. Let's say when you when you take the base of the saw and rotate it, we'll call that angle. I'm sure I'm getting these terms wrong. And right. when you take the head of the saw and flop it side to side, let's say that's bevel. I I, I agree with that. So the capex bevel and miter. Okay, bevel and miter. So the capex, you twist this knob to bevel the head of the saw, mm-hmm. and it's accurate, but okay. it's not intuitive. And I, you know, I say this. If the, sh- if the saw was in my shop and I use it every day, I'm sure I would get used to it. Right. Um, but it's not intuitive. And when I tried it in stores, I, I went to a couple of Festool dealers and played with the saw. And when it was the only saw out there, I played with it in these dealers. And I was – I guess I was just unimpressed with it. Like I didn't like twisting the knob to angle it. Um, and It's got lasers, which as far as I understand are pretty accurate. But I don't set up with a laser. I set up by dropping the blade – down onto the wood before it's running and setting the tooth against the wood and making sure it's on my scribe line. And that's just how I've learned to use the saw. So I, I played with the Capex in the stores and I wasn't particularly enamored with it. I thought it was a little bit awkward. Um, and it's, 
it's expensive. Um, well, yeah. And I'm not, I don't object to much of Festool's pricing. I mean, well, I have a ton of Festool. So I'm not opposed to paying for what I see as a superior product. But I didn't see the Capex as a superior product. Um, I only saw it as expensive. But again, okay. that being said, when I first bought my house, it was the only saw short of the Hitachi, which even though the rails in the Hitachi are set up the same way – this is the big 12-inch Hitachi, mind you. The rails okay. in the Hitachi are set up the same way as the, as the Capex, and yet the Hitachi takes up as much space behind the saw as another saw. The Hitachi does not save any space. So hmm. um, really, I, I felt as though I was going to have to get a Capex because I wanted the space to be as, uh, as compact as possible. Um, so in that mindset – I'm designing it and fitting it into the shop, and I didn't just, I didn't just run out and buy a Capex because they're so damn expensive. Sure. Um, so before I had the opportunity to buy a Capex, the 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 Bosch Glide came out. Right. Um, and I went to uh, Ace Tool in Wantaw. There's a fairly local toolmonger. Um, they have a decent website. I would recommend buying from them if you have the opportunity to. Uh, but they have a they have a showroom. Which on the island, it's it's like Festool and carpentry tools. It's not woodworking per se. Okay. Um, but for what it is, they have a very nice showroom. Um, so in their showroom, I was able to look at the Capex right next to the Bosch Glide when the Glide came out. Oh, cool. Um, and I took I took my tape measure, or I probably took a tape measure off the shelf to, to measure it. But um, I'm looking at them, and... The advantages I found with the Bosch, 12-inch blade versus a 10-inch blade, and I realized that the Capex has a phenomenal cut capacity for a – it's not even a 10-inch blade. It's a what, however many millimeter oh, blade. Um, but it's, it's, it's closer to a 10 than a 12. And w- for a 10, it has phenomenal cut capacity, but the cut capacity of the 12 is bigger. So the Bosch won on cut capacity. And woodworkers are going to say, well, who cares? It's a miter saw. It's not accurate. Well – from what I understand, the Festool is certainly accurate enough to do woodworking. I will tell you from experience, the Bosch is definitely accurate enough to do woodworking. And I do home improvement and woodworking like I'm sure many listeners do. Mm-hmm. Um, so cut capacity was relevant to me. Um, so there was cut capacity. Sure. The fact that it took a standard 12-inch blade meant that I had more options in terms of blade. Mm-hmm. My preferred blade is the Forest Chopmaster. Mm-hmm. which I believe is now actually made in the metric size for the Capex. But at the time, it wasn't, and I knew I could get it in 12-inch. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I've not done that because I'm still using my OEM blade from Bosch, which is not quite as good as the Chopmaster, but it's pretty damn close, and it's certainly usable. Really? Uh, yeah. It's, for what it is, it's a phenomenal blade. And I, I will actually, when it finally gets dull, I will get it resharpened and keep it. Uh, rather okay. than just ditch it like I did. Like the, the blade that came with my DeWalt, I basically threw away and I put a Chopmaster in it. Okay. Um, the Bosch blade, it's not the same quality as a Chopmaster, but Chopmaster is, uh, I don't know, $120, and mm-hmm. I didn't have to spend that because the Bosch blade is doing doing its job. Yep, um, but just the fact that I could put a Chopmaster into it or anyone's 12-inch blade, I saw as an advantage. Um, the The Bosch has its own unique adjustments to do the beveling it has their front controls so you never have to reach around behind the saw to adjust anything right and again they're 
they're not quite as intuitive as the straightforward but behind the saw adjustments of the DeWalt. Um, but in playing with the Bosch next to the Capex, I found the Bosch's adjustments, I took to them better. I found them easier to use. You would some would argue they're not as accurate because with the Capex, you twist this little knob and it ad- completely adjusts where the head goes. And with the Bosch, I'm basically it's loose and I line it up by eye, having the weight of the saw in my hand, and then I lock it. So, yes, there is that, um, but I still, I liked the controls of the Bosch better. Right, um, and they, they didn't revolutionize anything in that. That's the typical, other than how the Capex does it. Well, Every chops I've done is the same way. You're holding, as you're adjusting that bevel, you're, you're holding it there, and then... Exactly. In that regard, the Bosch is just like every other one. But right. at least in my old DeWalt, and I believe most of the current saws... You're holding the head of the saw in hand, yeah. and once you got it, you have to reach behind and tighten the knob to lock it in. Yep. With my Bosch, at the front of the handle where you would twist it side to side, I just throw a lever and it locks it in. Oh, So okay. I still have to support the weight of the saw, but all the actual controls are in the front facing me. I never have to reach around behind it. Right. So it's, it's a little bit better than average, but it's not the Capex. But again, I personally liked it better. Um. Then, of course, you've got the fact that the Bosch, when I bought the Bosch, it was relatively new to the market. And I think it was somewhere like 720, 740. It was an expensive saw. Yeah, compared to the other but ones. Other exactly. Stuff. Compared to everything but the Capex, it was a very expensive saw. Right. But it was half the price of the Capex. <laughs> right. And right. I, I, if the Capex was a better saw, I would have just waited and ponied up and bought the better saw. I, I'm not saying I bought the Bosch because of the price. However, the fact that it was half the price was nice. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mind not spending that extra $700. Sure. Um, but I'll tell you, the real deciding factor for me was I took the Capex and I set it to cut at 90 degrees or zero degrees, depending on how you're reading the, the gauge. Okay, sure. Um, I took the Bosch, I set it to zero degrees, and I took that tape measure off the shelf and I measured from the face of the fence – to the back of the saw, how much room did it take? How far off the wall would I need to set the saw? Because I like having a miter saw, and I have a permanent miter saw bench set up against one wall in my shop. And for the size of my shop, that's a lot of footprint dedicated to the miter saw. It arguably Mm. takes up more square footage than my table saw does. Um, So I was making a big commitment, but I wanted the space to be as compact as possible. So... When I measured from the fence to the back of the saw, the Bosch Glide is two inches shallower than the Capex. Wow. So in terms of the footprint it takes up in my shop, the Bosch takes up two inches less depth than the Capex would have. Right. Um, And I'll pick up my laptop. You can kind of see. The reader Mm -hmm. won't be able to see. You see the Bosch over there on the side? Yes. It's beveled to its maximum – it's angled rather to its maximum miter angle which right. is, I think, 60 degrees. So I have a table set up that is, when I rotate the saw all the way to 60 degrees, the front handle is behind the face of the table, and it doesn't stick out into the room. Okay. When I undo it and swing it to zero, it sticks out quite a bit. But I'm using the saw. That's okay. And when I'm done using it, I swing it back to the side, and it's behind the face of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you could see, but... I see the the, the insulation yeah. behind it. I know exactly. your cupboard that you built there. Yeah. Exactly. So my shop walls are uh, seven inches thick. 
okay. because I insulated my shop walls. Well, the wall behind the miter saw is essentially framed like a window, but I never cut through the wall. So <laughs> it's got a header. It's got king studs and jack studs. It's, it's framed just like a window. But um, instead of being seven inches thick, it's just the plywood out exterior sheathing of my wall with a half-inch foil-faced polyisocyanurate insulation set right against that and air-sealed around the edge. So it's not as it, well – I mean, the rest of my wall is R40. This section of the wall at a half-inch polyiso is going to be about R3. Right. So it's not insulated nearly as well as the rest of the wall. But the foil-facing, it reflects light. It's airtight. So by spraying foam around the outside, it's air-sealed and – not to go down the rabbit hole of insulation, but air sealing is just as important as our value. Um, so it's air sealed properly. And by doing that, it allows me to recess the saw into the wall. Right. So that roughly five to six inches of wall depth that I won meant that my miter saw bench is that much shallower. Right. Um, so when I swing the saw to 90 degrees, there's about a quarter inch of clearance between the back of my saw and the wall. In that recess, right, and the new, unique thing about that saw is that it—that's it. Like the exactly way it, because nothing, when yeah. you move it, nothing gets deeper than where you start. For anyone who doesn't know, the the glide saw we talked about the capex is the rails that run forward. The glide saw has arms that unfold, and it's two mechanical—not mechanical joints, but two like knuckle joints that mm-hmm. unfold towards you. Um, and so. This is a long story about why I got the Bosch Glide. <laughs> um, so th- that was the process I went through to get the Bosch Glide. Um, I played with it in the store for, you know, five minutes. I cut a piece of wood with it. I'm not going to say I had, you know, used it a lot. So it, it was somewhat of a leap of faith to buy it. Um, but Bosch has a good reputation for the stuff they make. Mm-hmm. Um, the brand... I'm not going to say I have a lot of confidence. I have a handful of Bosch hand tools, but nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, not a majority of any of my stuff, but it the brand has a good name. I had read plenty of reviews of the previous generation of Bosch miter saw, and I knew that the Bosch miter saw was a good saw, so I presumed and I that this would be an equally good saw at, to the previous generation, which had rails. Um, and... Again, it was the it was really the space factor that pushed me towards this saw. This was a a slightly unique purchase for of, for me because I didn't necessarily choose it based on it being what I considered to be the best in the category. It was the saw that I have over time grown to believe is the best in the category, having used it and liked it. But I'd be lying if I said that's why I bought it. I bought it because I thought it would be good, and I knew it would fit. And from a space perspective, it was going to be the most efficient for my shop. Right. That was a very, very specific consideration for you. Exactly. Very, I mean, um, space, obviously, in one-car garage, your, your space is at a premium, so you want you want that to be at, you know, as best as you can get it. And so – and I think that, that that works for that tool because that's a space concern. But if we look at your jointer, mm-hmm. how big's your jointer right now? <laughs> I have um, I have the Powermatic eight inch uh, with parallelogram heads. So 
I'm not exactly sure how big it is, but uh, it's, okay. it's an aircraft carrier. I mean, it is a it is an Com- absolute tank compared to what you had before, which was uh, six inch something. Yeah, my what I originally started off with was a jet six inch, which was roughly half the footprint, a quarter of the footprint of this thing. Um, mm-hmm. Dramatic difference. And then I actually upgraded from the jet to an old 1950s era potbelly Delta 8 inch. Um, and that was quite a bit bigger than the jet, but still maybe two thirds the size of the Powermatic. And <laughs> then, um, and then when I had the opportunity to upgrade to the Powermatic, I did that. And I've actually, I bought all three joiners off Craigslist. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And, um, the the jet was basically I was setting up the shop here and I knew I needed a joiner and I ended up going up to Connecticut to buy it. It was a reasonable deal, not a not a steal, um, but I needed a joiner and it was an it was a reasonably priced cheap joiner and it got me going and it worked fine for what it was. Um, when I saw the the Delta eight inch, I actually paid less for my Delta eight inch than I paid for my Jet six inch, <laughs> um, and. For the Delta, for the jet, rather, I had to drive up to Connecticut. Not a big deal, but it's a two-hour r- trip. Um, but for the uh, for the Delta, I had to drive to the town next door. Um, oh. So it was just – I happened to be – my wife was actually away that weekend. I was working on the shop all weekend. I just happened to check uh, check Craigslist, and it was a steal. I, I think I paid $350 for it. Wow. Um, so I just – I ran to the next town over, and I, I, I grabbed it. And it didn't take up a – the the difference in space from one to the other was was negligible. It was a okay. little bit bigger, but it, it was still a dovetail keyed style um, joiner, and uh, and it took up a little bit more space. But that said, um, it had it had some issues. Uh, the outfeed table was not coplanar to the infeed table. Problem. Um, it was a problem that I spent quite a bit of time messing with, and I am not a machinist. Um, I got it to the point where it was acceptable, but it was not as tight tolerant as I would have liked. Um, and admittedly, I had never, I'd never set hands on a, on a Powermatic. Um, but I I knew the brand by reputation. And when I saw the opportunity to get the Powermatic, I immediately jumped on it. Kind of because it was Powermatic, but also because from what I had learned about the difference between a dovetailed jointer and a parallelogram jointer in terms of the way the beds move. Um, the parallelogram jointer is easier. I'm not going to say easy, but easier to align the beds and you, you have more adjustability and you don't end up having to shim these keyways. Hmm. Um, so it was really dealing with a dove, a dovetail keyed jointer the beds were not coplanar and having the frustration of trying to align those beds was a huge motivating factor in wanting to get a parallelogram joiner. Yeah. I have to say, I don't think I've ever, uh, ever done one of the parallelogram. The only, my dad has a jet six inch. I think the okay. same kind that you started with. And that's really the only joiner that I've ever spent any time with. Um, so. I don't know if anyone makes a, a six inch. That's a parallelogram. Uh, um, I don't think I don't think so, but I'll tell you that the Powermatic has been absolutely dead set perfect since mm-hmm. the day I got it, and I have not yet had to adjust it. Um, 
it's it's time for new blades. So when I get the new blades, I will have to have to set the blade height, you know, relative to the outfeed table and and tweak it a little bit. But it should right. still, I presume, it will still all be parallel. It's just going to be the blade height, you know, yeah. messing, messing with that. So, um, but again, it was I'd heard good things about Paramatic. I knew it was a premium brand, mm-hmm. and I wanted a parallelogram joiner. So that I would say the the style more than the brand was what motivated me to get it. Um, but I ignored the space consideration, uh, because the functionality outweighed the space. Right. Um, and I, I bought it not sight unseen. I went and looked at it, but I bought it without having any real experience with the brand. Um, and I've been very pleased with the Powermatic. Um, it is, it is absolutely a premium brand and the fit and finish of this thing is just, it's, it is the, the best level of fit and finish of any tool in my shop. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, um, that's something that they're known for. Like yeah. you, you, there, there are a lot of brands out there, a lot of table slides you can get, a lot of joiners you can get a lot of, you know, and, and when you're talking about like the big machinery, you know, there's, there's a few major players in that. Um, there are, the price points vary a fair amount. Um, the utility of them, I think, are not as different as some, you know, ever since a, a decent blade guard came out, you know, they, that was probably 10 years ago where they started making better ones. And, uh, you know, the Powermatic, my, I can speak for the Powermatic a cabinet saw. My dad has okay. a 66 right before they stopped making those. He's a big made in America guy. So that was big to get a casting that was made in America. Which I think the '66 was the last time they did that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I believe you're right. It's yeah. a little outside of my wheelhouse, but I think and, you're right. But that is a rock solid tank of a machine. There's no doubt about it. And to my knowledge, that's how Powermatic does it. Um, that is totally different than the innovation of Festool. Well, okay. Um, and and their hand tools, I mean, or hand carryable tools compared to cabinet grade tools. Let's. Like, Let's talk about Festool. I'm happy to talk about uh, you know big stationary equipment as much as you want because as I look around, I have Powermatic, Delta, Grizzly, Laguna. Um, so I got a little we, bit of everybody in terms of my stationary equipment. So before we can jump into that, I think we're on the same boat, and I'm 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 coming from a little bit a little different part of the ballpark, but you know with what I use and what you use predominantly. But I think we could both agree that it's not so much about a particular brand; it's about how it works and what the value of it is. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, That, that is utmost to me. And I I would go a little bit further and say that I am not aware of any brand hand tool, handheld power tool or stationary equipment. I'm not aware of any brand where I would say that brand is best across the board. Right now, there are there there are people that do that. The exactly. Scene, it's like, oh, I know Delta. Yep, I'll get it. You know? Exactly, and, and it, that's fine. That I think that comes from experience. Um, there it, are those brands that at least I think that brand you you don't go wrong. It's all going to be serviceable. It's all going to work well. Right, you're not going to have a problem with it. Yes. but that's not the same thing as saying they're the best across the board. Yeah, no, no, um, I I absolutely agree. Uh so okay, so that said. Okay. Let me wade neck deep into this festival thing. Okay, and I'm I'm going to not that I don't always, but 
I don't own a single fest. Tool okay, I was anything. going to ask you. I the closest I've come, I almost got their little sand pads that hold random orbital, okay. you know, like you I know, know the yeah the soft ones back where you can use their 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 random orbit sander pads yeah. by yeah. hand. Yeah. Okay. So that's that is as close as I've come to getting a fest tool. tool Have you used any I, fest tool tools? Ah, uh, never for production. I've probably toyed around with them. I know I've run the the Capex at Woodcraft. I've, um, oh gosh, I mean, yeah, I, here and there, yes, for let, sure. Let me ask uh, you a question then. As a non-owner and occasional user, yes. What's your impression of the brand? I think they make quality, innovative tools. Um, I have heard and I, I've heard of reviews. I've, I've, I've seen people talking about them um, for different things between sanders and routers and uh, their dust extractors, not dust collectors. Not <laughs> yeah, for that money, extractors. it's extractor. It's not yes. a vacuum. <laughs> right, right. It better be more than a vacuum. But so they're, like we just said, I don't think they're carte blanche good at everything i don't think every tool they make is going to be cream of the crop but i know they strive for innovation they they ride on that german design thing kind of like volkswagen does you know i would say that's a very based on my experience with them i would say that's a very fair assessment and when i talk to other woodworkers in my experience woodworkers are either pro fest tool and want everything fest tool (laughs) or anti-festool and say why would i pay that much for anything and are completely anti-festool yeah now i'll preface this by saying i have both dominoes i have oh, you do i have I the ts55 track saw i have the of 2000 three horsepower router which is the previous generation not that thousand dollar monster they have now the of 2200 I think those are the numbers. If I have the numbers wrong, I apologize. But I have the previous generation of three-horsepower router. Um, I'm staring at my sander cart, which has um, – I can only see half of it, but I believe it has three – it has eight Festool sanders hanging off my sander cart. Oh, my God. Um, I have uh, – what else do I have in Festool? That, that may, in fact, be it. Well, I know, and I think you're going to get to it, but I know you don't like the routers. Well, that's it. Is I, so I have all that Festool. I have right. owned and sold the CS, CXS, the little 10 or 12-volt small cordless drill. I have owned and sold the OF2200, 1800. What's the, the, the 2.5-horsepower router that's like the DeRigger, the main Festool router? I, I used to know the number, and I don't anymore. Um, I've had that. I sold that. Um, I have the CT22, the old generation of dust extractor. I actually had the new one and I prefer the old one. So I went back to the old one. Um, so I, I consider myself very experienced with the brand. I would say so. And there are, none of it is junk. It's all very well made stuff. Okay. So I don't necessarily think that you can make the blanket statement that it's overpriced. It's made in Germany. Um, 
Not that they don't make good things in other countries, but German labor – I understand the German labor market is expensive. So just the fact that it's made in Germany doesn't necessarily mean it's better, better made, but it does mean it's more expensively made. Right. Um, so I can appreciate that it costs more because it's made in Germany. Um, the fit and finish of all the tools is very good. And while I'm not um, – you know, I'm a hobbyist. I'm not a guy putting them through their paces 10 hours a day, six days a week. Um, from my perspective, the quality has been very high. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's something like I I know now that I'm more into woodworking than than when I was building a ho- houses. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that festival existed. I was using everything else but that. Well, Festool is a relatively new brand to the U.S. woodworking market. Festool mm-hmm. as a brand goes back. 60, 80 years. It's, it's an old German brand. I mean, they, I think I want to say Festool invented the chainsaw. Um, wow. They go back a very long time. That hmm. being said, I can remember when the Festool track saw was the only Festool item available in the U.S. And that was that was in the early 2000s, the late 90s, early 2000s. They're, okay. They haven't been – they've been around for – Probably the last decade. I mean, I, I think, I think they picked up sponsoring the Wood Whisperer when they were working to say we're not just the Traxwell, we're going to have this whole full line. Okay. I think I might have the timing wrong, um, but you know they're a relatively new brand in the U.S. Okay, um, yeah. And- even the Traxwell, I don't think goes back too far past the other tools, but I know the Traxwell was the first thing they offered in the U.S. I think the first time I ever saw it was on um, this old house. Okay. Honestly. Like, and he had a drill, you know. See, I was going to say, it, I, was, I would have asked what tool you saw because um, I've actually had our local Festool rep in my shop at work mm. trying to convince us to use Festool cordless impact guns roofing. Mm. And... Um, this has nothing to do with whether or not I like the brand, but it's too premium a brand for a trade that destroys tools within months. Right. Uh, our power tools in commercial roofing are disposable items. Uh, they just see too much abuse. Roof cement ruins everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, I can't tell you what it does to the gears of a tiger saw or a sawzall or a cordless oh. drill. Um, so the premiumness of the fest tool for anything other than finished carpentry strikes me as spending money on on something you don't need um because job sites destroy tools it's just the nature of of work on a job site so if you're doing finished carpentry it's a little bit different but if you're if you're out there doing rough carpentry or any other trade um i wouldn't i wouldn't bring a fest tool out there it's just gonna, right. it's just going to turn to muck like every other tool does <laughs> um but the the way i approach it and to kind of go through why I have what I have and have sold off what I sold off. The Sanders are amazing. Um, if you've seen the recent things I've made, I've started moving down a road towards curved and sculpted pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to make square furniture, you don't necessarily need a Rotex. Um, and if you're just going to get a random orbit sander, the Festool random orbit sanders are nice. I'm not a hundred percent sure they're worth the price premium. Um, Com- compared to 
compared to a Bosch. Okay. Um, I've actually heard very good things about the rigid five inch random orbit. I don't have one, but I've heard it's a very nice random orbit sander. Bosch has one now that switches between a five and a six inch pad. And it actually has between the motor and the housing. There are these rubber gasket or rubber shock absorbers. And it's supposed to be really minimal vibration. I've been tempted to buy that one, even though I have the festival ones. Um, Hmm. So I've connected, I've connected the, a rigid six inch random orbit to a dust collector. I've connected a, my Makita four inch belt sander to a dust collector. You don't need the fest tool to get good dust collection off a of sander. You need to plug the sander into a dust collector to get good, good dust collection off a of sander. Okay. So it's not the design of the tool, like evacuating in the right way. The, uh, the fest tool probably gets better dust collection. The fest tool, to- fest tool talks about how they get whatever it is, 95%, 99% dust collection. And sure. they do get very good dust collection. But the comparison is always, you know, an old port cable with a bag compared to the Fest tool connected to a vacuum. And that's just not fair. Right. Um, you take that old port cable and plug it into the vacuum, and you're going to get 90% dust collection versus the Fest tool 95. Mm-hmm. It probably is better, but it's better in an, in an unquantifiable, intangible sense. Like, um, it just it it strikes me as their their random orbit sanders are good, but not necessarily a good value because they're so damn expensive compared to the rest of the field. Right. Um, their Rotex sanders, however, are in my opinion worth every penny. But that's because I use them to carve. Um. So they're good at getting into the the dynamic spaces, not just a big flat platinum surface. Well, I've. It's twofold. Uh, one thing I will say about Festool is they make – I want to say they're the only brand that makes this. Uh, it's the only one I'm familiar with. If somebody else makes it, please let us know and uh, you can tweet MWA underscore national and we'll see it. Um, Festool makes a product called an interface pad and it's a fo- – first of all, the platens. Let me backtrack. The platens, they make soft, medium, and hard platens. Okay. So – this, the sanders all come with medium platens. If you're going to sand flat surfaces, arguably you want the hard. If you're going to sand soft surfaces, arguably you want the soft. Um, but they make a thing called an interface pad, which is a foam pad. It's roughly half an inch thick. And okay. it's got the appropriate type of Velcro on both sides. And the holes line up. So you stick the interface pad onto the platen, and then you stick the sandpaper onto the interface pad. and. Okay. It allows you because it's soft foam. It allows you to do curved surfaces amazingly well. Right. Okay. So, because of the interface pad, the entire Festool line is better suited to do curved work. Like I don't know if you know Paul Leminski from Canadian Woodworks. He does mm-hmm. all Maloof style rockers and California roundover style, and he shapes and sands his pieces one hundred percent with power tools. Okay. He goes from grinders from grinders with cut sole blades on them to grinders with flap sanding wheels on them to Festool. And that's how he does all his shaping and sanding. And without interface pads and the different types of platens, he wouldn't be able to do it all with power tools. He'd okay. have to do it by hand. So in that regard, the Festool sanders are definitely worth the money. Um, but – the the difference why I say the the random orbits are hmm, not necessarily worth the money and the Rotex is 
again, assuming you're doing flat, if you're doing curved work, you, because Festool has proprietary sandpaper and proprietary holes and they don't line up with anybody else's, <laughs> you want to use their interface pad, you really need to use their sander. And it's a very good system, and I would recommend it. But the Rotex... Are they, are they unique in that interface pad? Do we, do we know? Or is it, is it protected? I mean, are they patented in that? I, I honestly don't know. As okay. I said, I'm not aware of another brand that has an interface pad, but it's really just a piece of foam with Velcro on both sides. So right. why another brand couldn't come out with one, I, I, don't, I don't see why another brand couldn't come out with one. But the fact of the matter is, with the Festool interface pad, the holes line up with the proprietary hole pattern of the Festool. So if you put it, it you get the six-inch interface pad, you could put it on somebody else's six-inch random orbit sander, it would stick, it would physically work, but you wouldn't end up with dust collection because the holes wouldn't line up. Right. So if you're going to use, if you're going to do rounded things, the interface pad is a revelation. And okay. in that case, it's worth getting the Festool stuff. If you're just doing flat stuff and you're really only using random orbit sanders, I don't think you need the Festool. Um, but to get back to the Rotex, I have the three different Rotex sanders, the RO90, the RO125, and the RO150. I think those are the numbers. Um, and I don't use them in random orbit mode. Now, the Rotex sanders, they have a random orbit mode, and they have what Festool calls Rotex mode, which is a gear-driven mode where the wheel turns, and it kind of kind of oscillates as it turns. It's not random the way random orbit is, but it's not just a spinning disc. It's actually moving side to side as it spins. If that like a sense. spirograph kind of yes, thing? Yes, exactly. Internally? It's, okay. it's, it's like a spirograph. That's the pattern it leaves. Okay. Um, and it's no good for finish work because it leaves swirl marks, but wow. it is phenomenal at shaping and smoothing. It is a very aggressive. Mm. It It's it leaves a more random pattern than just a rotating disc would on a sander. If you have any of those tiles, types of sanders, like you put a sanding platen on a drill and it just yeah. spins, that leaves deep grooves in the pattern of the pad. Right. This isn't that bad, but it's also not random orbit. Um, but the gearing is so powerful, it's, it's advantageous in a couple things. You can use it to level surfaces. You can use it um, to bring – I've used it to bring different pieces that are not even to bring them flush with each other. When I was right. making my last quilt rack, because everything was curved and flowed into each other, when I had the cross pieces that held the curve and I, I gl- glued them into the, the legs that came up, the faces were not even with each other. And I used the, 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 the Rotex and Rotex mode and I sanded it down and smoothed it all out. And it's really good at that kind of work. The other thing is if you're sanding like legs and narrow rounded pieces with the interface pad in a random orbit sander, it typically, it, it just kind of wobbles back and forth. Mm-hmm. Whereas your, the pressure on, you know, the object you're sanding is say three quarters of an inch round and the pad is five inches for the smallest one. It's not enough. It doesn't put pressure on the pad properly and evenly to get the pad to actually random orbit. So the pad just kind of wobbles back and forth. Okay. When you put the Rotex in Rotex mode, because it's gear driven, it spins. No matter. So No matter what, no matter what you're putting it against. Okay. So it's, again, it's not as refined as the random orbit. But there are times when the random orbit doesn't work because the surface you're bearing it against doesn't provide the right resistance. 
the Rotex will work in those times. Okay. So if you want to do shaping, if you want to sand curved surfaces, if you want to use it to to level and bring panels into the same plane, the Rotex is phenomenal. Okay. Um, enough about the Festool sanders, though. <laughs> um, the track saw is yeah. a revelation. That's and I, that I haven't used any others, although I'd love to have one because right now, I mean, I when I do break stuff down, I it's a circular saw and it's, it's I've got a couple of long, decent straight edges that I use. Um, it, I love the idea of a track saw, and it wasn't until fairly recently that there's been competition to festools. Um, but now I've seen people using them all different types, a- absolutely. Um, and I think they're all pretty good. I know Festool's great at it, you know, maybe. <laughs> My understanding is that in terms of results, the Festool, the Makita, and the DeWalt are both – are all, rather not both, but all about equal. Okay. They all work slightly differently. The Festool and the Makita, if I remember correctly, they have a, a pivot point in the front and they swing down. I know the Festool does. I think the Makita does. Okay. The DeWalt is – it's a parallelogram, cut like my joiner, and it's got right. two pivot points, and they they bring it down parallel. So the plunge um, isn't so much of an arc. Exactly, it's, kind it's of not a an slide arc. And it's, an angle. it's more just a, a push down. Okay, and I bring that up. I don't think it has any performance benefit one way or the other. Hmm. But when you've if when you're using a track saw, you get the track where you want. You put the saw on the track. You unlock. The plunge mechanism, at least with the festival, you unlock it with your thumb, and then you pull the trigger, you start the blade spinning, and you push it down. Right. With the Festool, you kind of pull towards you, and it it swings from that front pivot point okay. and swings down into the piece. Okay. With the DeWalt, I played with DeWalt in a store. I don't have any cutting experience with it, so if anybody has questions about DeWalt, I think Vanderlist has one. Ask him. Um <laughs> But my little bit of playing with it is rather than pull it towards you to pivot it down, mm-hmm. you literally had to push down because of the parallelogram mechanism rather than the pivot point. Yeah. And I found that, at least in the little bit of playing I did in the store, to be more awkward. Okay. Um, I mean, if, if my, like a plunge cut with a circular saw, when I was framing houses a, mm-hmm. a ton, you know, that's where you drag the toe of the saw and you plunge it. That way, it's moving the back from a fixed forward position. That's natural to me. And I agree. I learned, you know, I have much more experience with an actual circular saw than the track saw. So, okay, yeah, sure. Um, it could just be that we're both carpenters, and that's <laughs> that's what we learned. So True. maybe if you're just doing woodworking and you've only used the DeWalt, maybe it's perfectly intuitive. I don't know. Right. Um, but if you're talking about a track saw, at least my recommendation would be try them all. Um, sure. I happen to have the Fest tool because – I have the other Festool stuff. It works with the dust extractor, but I find other things work with the dust, dust extractor too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my biggest motivating factor for the Festool versus the DeWalt or the Makita was that they're, between the Festool, the DeWalt, and the Makita, they're all relatively the same price. It's like a tw- excuse me, it's like a twenty or thirty dollar difference. Okay, it's not. That's my recollection. It, it's been a while since I've looked at them. Um, but it's not radically different. The Festool is like – I think the Festool is like $550 or $600. And the other ones are all like you know, $490, $500, $600. It's that kind of pricing. It wasn't until the the, uh, the Grizzly came out that you had somebody that was really much cheaper. And I want to say the Grizzly is like 200 bucks. The oh, Grizzly right. is is much cheaper. 
See, and um, nothing against Grizzly, but that makes me suspect right away. Well, I'll tell you, uh, my dad bought the Grizzly and immediately returned it and was un- unhappy with it. Really? Um, Brian McCauley from McCauley's Design. Uh, I believe he has the Grizzly, and I think he's happy with it. I have not spoken with him about it, but I, I know he uses it, so he's at least not returned his. <laughs> um, so in terms of tracks, so, uh, I don't know. Play with them and buy the one that you find you're most comfortable with. Uh, to be honest, I want to say one of the deciding factors with the Festool was that Festool has the widest selection of tracks. Really? Right? I yeah. thought they basically had one and then one twice as long. Um, I want to say they have a number of different lanes. I have, I have the the track that comes with the sole, which is roughly four foot. It's it's. It's longer than four foot so that you can make a four foot cut. Oh, right. And then I have the one that's longer than eight foot so you can make an eight foot cut. Sure. Um, and I think they have one that's about 10 foot, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and they also have them with holes in them so you can use them with the router for pin jigs. And they have the widest assortment. But I, my recollection, and I, I apologize if I'm wrong. I'm not up to date on this. But my recollection is that Festool is the only one with that roughly eight foot track. And you can absolutely take two four foot tracks and assemble them. Okay. Um, but prior to my getting the the Festool track saw, I had I think it's Eureka Zone. It's one of the companies that makes a track and a plate that you attach to a, a standard circular saw okay. to basically recreate the Festool saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's pretty damn close. Um. But the difference, as I saw it, upgrading from the Eureka to the Festool was twofold. Is that the Festool has pretty grippy strips on the bottom. And I don't even own the clamps that you use to clamp the track down to things. I just. Yeah, I've, I've seen that done a lot where they just, you know, not everyone clamps those things down and just lay the track and it, you exactly. line it up with your line and that's enough. The track <laughs> is like a, a half an inch wider than the saw. So mm-hmm. what I will do is I drop the track down. I put one hand on the track just to stop it from shifting and my other hand's on the saw and I slide okay. the saw down. Yeah. Um, every once in a while it hops on me, but for the most part, I don't have a problem with it. Mm. Um, so the, with the, with the other one I had, it didn't have those adhesive strips. So I was constantly locking it down. So the, the, the ability to get rid of those clamps I saw as a big advantage. And there was well, sure. a couple times when I was literally using the tracks when I cut a carcass where I couldn't clamp it. But with the festival, I can just drop the track on the side of the cabinet and, and cut through it. Okay. Um, so that was an advantage. But I think the DeWalt and the Makita have those same adhesive strips. Um, and also with my prior one, I hated assembling the two pieces to make the eight-foot long piece. Um, it was time-consuming. It, uh, the one I had, I had to use Allen wrenches to do it. Oh, um, really? And I don't know that I ever had a cut that didn't come out right, but I just, in my head, it never seemed as straight as a single piece. <laughs> oh, um, so sure. my motivating factor to get a, let's say, a premium or a, a specifically made track saw was that I wanted the longer rail and I wanted to be able to use the rail without clamps. Okay. Um, but then you get to, you know, the domino is... It is what it is. It's it's revolutionary. I highly recommend it. It's the only game in town if you want that kind of joinery. Yeah. One. That's that's my comment <laughs> on, the, on the domino. Um, the routers. 
Don't buy a Festool router. Hold on. Now, you have the large, maybe not the largest collection, but to, of the people I know, I think you've got the, the largest collection of routers. I think I have 11 right now. Okay. What, what, if we're talking buying decisions, what is the driving force between your router purchasing? Okay. Let me, I know it's not bland, brand loyalty. Let me preface my, I think I have 11 router statement by simply <clears throat> saying addiction. that somewhere in the ballpark of, let's say I have 11, six, seven, eight of them, somewhere in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. I have bought and I've bought and Jesus, wow. I only have them. I only might in English. Um, <laughs> I purchased used, um, okay. my local tool retailer, reliable tool. I call him a tool monger. Um, hat does very good business in used hand operated power tools and okay. equipment to a smaller degree. But, um, I am frequently in there for work. And when I see a decent router at a reasonable price, I'll pick it up. And over the course of 15 years, I've bought six or seven of them, never paying more than $120 for one. Okay. And I've gotten everything from the three and a quarter horsepower monster um, port cable uh, I have yeah. both the fixed and the plunge that I got there. Okay. Um, anything down to the little one and a quarter horsepower port cable with the little screaming thousand or million RPM motor. and just <laughs> you know, the tiny little thing that screams. Um, so – I personally like using routers. I understand the usefulness in the shop, and mm-hmm. there's a radical difference between a fixed base one horsepower and a plunge three horsepower. So I have the full assortment of routers, and I've duplicated some of them so that I can have you know a bl- this blade and this one and this blade and the other one and this one left to a depth. And there's a certain advantage in not having to reconfigure the tool every time you want to make a different cut, just yeah. having a different one. So okay. that's why I have so many. No, I, I knew that you had. Yeah. Basically, it was because of setups. Exactly, know? and in terms of brands, I have Portacable. I have what's the brand that was Delta, but um, um, uh, <laughs> Rockwell. Rockwell. Yes. I have, okay. have Portacable. I have Rockwell. I have Bosch. I have Festool. I think that's the the different brands of router I have. Okay. So. In terms of why I don't like Festool, if that's it, or if we want to talk about which routers I do like. Oh, and I have uh, DeWalt. Um, every router I have, every fixed base router I have adjusts by moving the motor up and down in the fixed base, either by twist, by rotating the base or by rotating the motor. Okay. Festool doesn't make fixed base routers, so that's not necessarily relevant to this conversation. In terms of the plunge routers, every plunge router I have has a trigger, has two vertical handles, mm-hmm. trigger on one handle and on the right-hand handle. And on the left-hand handle, you pull a lever to, to then release the motor, right. and the motor is spring-loaded, and you move it up and down. Right. Um, the medium and smaller Festools, this, the, the Monster, the OF200, the, o, the OF2000, the OF2200 – um, operate by those conventional plunge mechanisms. Right. But the smaller routers that everyone is familiar with from Vestool have a knob in the left hand. I guess you could probably rotate it, but let's just say it's the left hand, and a, a horizontal handle on the oh, right. Hand. Right, yeah. So you're you're it's a different grip. Um it's a different grip. And 
if that was the only router I used, I suppose I could get used to it. But I had my um, – it's kicking me that I can't think of it. It's OF1200, OF1800, whatever the, the two-and-a-quarter horsepower router is, two-and-a-half horsepower. It's the, it's, the, it's the main Festool router. I, I'm on the internet now. I could probably look this up as we talk. <laughs> um, I never came to terms with it. I had it for like two-and-a-half years. Um, so – I'm gonna look at the that. the fact that the handle was was horizontal, it was just a little awkward to move it up and down. You take the knob in the left hand and rotate it forward, and then you move the router up or down. Then you pull rotate it back to lock it in. I was never satisfied by how tight it locked by rotating it back. Um, I felt much more comfortable with the spring loaded lever because when I let go, I knew it snapped right back to where it was supposed to be and it was locked in. Okay. Um, not that I ever had the Festool One shift. I don't mean to say it wasn't performing properly, but in terms of the use, I was never comfortable with rotating it back. Um, but what really did it for me with the Festool was was twofold. It was that while the the dust collection on the Festool routers is good, they're routers. It's not great, but it's good, and that makes it much better than most of them. However. What I see as the distinction between the Festool routers and other routers is that Festool puts the dust collectors, the, the fittings and the housings to connect a vacuum to the router. Mm-hmm. They put those fittings in the box when you buy the router. Every other manufacturer I'm, I'm aware of, it's an, it's an aftermarket purchase where you have to go back and buy it as an add-on. It's not part of the kit. Right. Um, and I don't know why the other brands do this. It's stupid, and they're letting Festool run away with the high-end market because they're not bundling them. And people don't realize that the other routers do dust collection. It's kind of like the Sanders. It's you know, it's the old porta cable just throwing dust everywhere versus the Festool that's completely enclosed and has good dust collection. That's not the real comparison, right? Um, you know, for anywhere from ten to twenty dollars, you buy. The dust housing for any of the other routers, most manufacturers, at least the brands that I have, sell them. You buy them on Amazon mm-hmm. um, and you put them on and their dust collection is very good. Is it quite as good as the Festool? Maybe not. But again, it's like you, you put the dust collection on, on the Bosch and let's say it is 80% dust collection. You put on the Festool and it has 90%. Yeah, the Festool is better, but you're, you're, all, you're most of the way there. Um, and with the Bosch, with the DeWalt, with the Porta Cable, you have um, you have controls that I find to be very intuitive. You have good dust collection, um, and what was really the deciding factor for me in terms of moving away from the Festool is that the modern routers I have that I've bought within the last few years that are non-Festool have clear base plates and lights in them. And if you've never used a router with a clear base plate and a light, then you don't realize what you're missing. Um, Because routing blind, as you do with the Festool, the plate on the bottom of the Festool is made out of fiberglass or something expensive and fancy, um, (laughs) but you can't see through it. 
And by the time you put all the dust collection paraphernalia around the Vestool router, you're routing blind. And for many years, I routed blind. And I know many people route blind. And you set stop blocks or you're, you're under the table kind of looking at where the blade's going. And you, you do what you have to do. But if once you route with a clear base plate and LEDs set in the bottom of the motor, I don't know why anyone would go back to routing blind. Um, the visibility is not fantastic. It's not a table saw where there's nothing between you and, you know, a table, uh, let's say a bandsaw, rather, where you don't have this big guard in front of you and you're just watching the blade go through the cut. It's not, th- it's not that. But compared to the complete um, lack of, of visibility that a traditional router provides, getting, let's say, 60% visibility is a tremendous improvement. Oh, I'm sure. So I had the Festool routers when I realized that I could get almost as good dust collection from other brands and not have to have the awkward controls of the Festool router. I started thinking, well, why would I get the Festool router? But then I have the little, I don't want to say it's the 611, the little DeWalt um, the it's pony. The, it's it's the DeWalt, oh, no, I'm it's the DeWalt version of the Bosch Colt. It's the little trim router, um, and it, the DeWalt comes with a fixed base and a plunge base, and that is the sweetest little router. It is delightful. Um, the base plate is clear. It has LEDs mounted in the bottom of it. Um, it it works wonderfully, and the visibility is fantastic. And for whatever it was, twelve fifteen dollars, I bought the DeWalt. Dust, dust extractor hood, which is all clear plastic, like the Vestools are, mm-hmm. um, but it's clear plastic, and it screws down into the base plate, and I connect it to my CT dust extractor, and it does a phenomenal job of dust collection. Um, and once I did that, I was like, well, why would I use the Vestool? The other brands have easier, more intuitive control, roughly equivalent dust collection, and you can see. Yeah. Oh, oh, and by the way, they're 40 to 60% less. So in cost, um, so the, the festival router that I still have, it's again, it's the big three and a half horsepower monster. Um, and it's another one that I, I actually bought used. I actually bought it on the festival recondition sale when they have them occasionally. So I think I got it for like 2200, the OF 2200. No, I have the 2000. Oh, so that's the new stuff. It's the fourteen hundreds, the two and a quarter, and the twenty two hundred is the three and three. Okay, so I had the uh, yeah, I so, had the fourteen hundred, and that's the one I sold because okay. I, I just didn't that's, like the controls or the fact yeah. that it was running blind. Yep, I have the two thousand, which right. is the previous generation of the twenty two hundred. Um, it's not nearly as fancy as the twenty two hundred. It doesn't have that big shroud on the bottom that completely encapsulates it and does the dust collection, but it has decent dust collection. Um. And for the size router, it's relatively small. It's still big, but when I put the three and a half horsepower Festool plunge next to my three and a half horsepower Porta Cable plunge, the Porta Cable is probably fifty percent bigger. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I know those; um, are, they're big. Yeah. So, um, so that's I keep that one because I I paid less for it initially. It doesn't have the resale value, so frankly, I couldn't make money selling it, and. It does, for what it is, it does a, a decent job. And again, it has normal controls. It has vertical handles. It has a trigger on the handle. It has a plunge lever to drop it. Yeah. It's not worse than any of my other routers, which I honestly think the 1400 was. Um, though I will say, as an interesting tidbit, though the, the port-a-cable 3.5 horsepower monster plunge router is probably 50% bigger than the equivalent powered Festool, 
Mm-hmm. The port cable is better balanced. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, the old port cable today is not the company it used to be. Um, but the older port cable tools, when port cable was, was port cable Delta, mm-hmm. um, they weren't as as engineer driven as Festool is, but they still knew what they were doing. They built some really nice tools, and that that for, that port cable uh, three and a half horsepower, three and a quarter horsepower is a very nice router. Um, so. I apologize if that was a little too tangential. That's my That's my rant about Festool. But what I really get at is, as I see Festool as as a user of Festool, is that Festool is just like any other brand in that some of the stuff they make is really good. Some of the stuff they make is not really good. Uh, it's all good quality, but it's not necessarily what I would consider to be the top of the line. It's not necessarily what I want to use. Um, so... That's that's my my rant on Festool. And in terms of their twelve volt or or ten volt cordless drills, don't buy Festool drills. Don't just don't buy Festool drills. Um, they're underpowered. The concentric bit system they use fixes a problem that doesn't exist. Um, for the money, I, I don't know. I I I don't, I don't like them. I had one. I sold them. <laughs> I don't like them. I think I you know to to sum this all up. Again, we mentioned it before that use u- utility of, of something is it, it trumps who makes it. Absolutely, and and you're living proof of it. You've got way more toys than I do, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you know that. But experience is is the driver on that at all times. It's what works for you. I no one could tell a, you know, a grand authority on. Uh, even you, I mean, you you definitely have your opinions on the tools that you have. They may not work the same way for someone. And someone may like that handle that uh, the the way that they make it. You know, that's absolutely true because I know a ton of people who swear by the exact tools that I won't use. Right. Um. So everything I just said, it, that's that's my opinion. That's what works in my shop. That's not necessarily uh, what works for other people. What I would say to anyone listening is, you need to make those same conclusions yourself. And the tools that you make those conclusions about are going to be different than the ones I concluded about. That's this is just the conclusions I've reached in my shop. You really need to reach those conclusions yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that's it. The the tools you use, the the purchases you make, are a very personal you know mm-hmm. thing. Um, make it work for you. If I could just add one thing, what I would say is that it, the philosophy that I use and that I would represent and i don't want to go down the road of you know what tools do you buy first and do you buy your oh. last tool first and all that crap that's nope. that's not the point of this discussion um but there's a certain level of let's say quality slash functionality that you just need to meet and anything below that it's going to break on you it's going to be inaccurate it's not going to work and mm-hmm. where that line is is a little different for for different people but you've got this threshold that below that threshold it's it's just junk as long as you're above that threshold, go for the best value. It doesn't necessarily need to be the top of the line. It doesn't necessarily need to be the cheapest as long as it's above the threshold, but it should be the best combination of the two. Right. Um, you know, the be- the most bang for the buck. Um, in terms of purchasing, you find a lot of that in Craigslist. I would not shy away from buying big equipment. I don't know if I'd buy hand power tools from Craigslist because – they tend to often be burnt out. Um, 
but I've had very good success with Craigslist buying jointers <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and other big stationary equipment. So there are ways to drop the price and increase the value, but you don't need to go for a particular brand in my opinion. Just go for, again, cross that threshold of this is the minimum viable product that I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. And then once you're crossed with that, go for the, the most bang for the buck, the best value. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think something's going to work properly uh, in, in and efficiently and last, you know, is, is enormous. I mean, mm. don't, don't get yourself stuck into this thing where you're, you know, you're going to Harbor Freight to buy your, your table saw and you're going to be doing it every year because something goes to crap on you. And, you know, I don't even know if they sell table saws, but, you know, I, you know, I've heard from plenty of people that, you know, if it has a tail on it, don't buy it from Porter or uh, from, uh, <laughs> from, from Harbor Freight because it's, it's, it's not worth the risk. That's the bang for the buck thing. There's a lot of, a lot of, or very little buck and maybe not the most bang, but, uh, disposable tools aren't always the best ones. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. There's a handful of types of tools. Like I've heard relatively good things about their 12 inch disc sander. Um, and I've heard mixed reviews of their lathes and I've heard mm. lots of people who buy their dust collector and then throw most of the components away and use the impeller and, and build their own monstrosities like I have. Um, <laughs> though I, I started with a dust collector off Craigslist. That would be my recommendation. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to say don't go into, into, um, into Harbor Freight, but I agree, you know, the, the value is not the disposable tool. Value is the tool that serves your need for the lowest cost. And mm-hmm. Getting three months out of it in a in a home workshop is is not enough. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, though the hand planes at Harbor Freight, I heard, are very good. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay away. That's fine. <laughs> I would go. I would probably go to. I don't think I'd buy an edge tool at Harbor Freight. I'm really down on them for no good reason. Uh, if it's not a screwdriver, I'm probably not going to buy it there. I will say that I bought some uh, some F style clamps there for um, for Cub Scouts. I needed to spend as little money as possible to, to do a little project with the Cub Scouts. There's a and user. I was relatively impressed with their F style clamps. Okay. Um, for the I think they were like four dollars a piece. They they appear that they would last almost as long as my Bessies and. Let's say they last. Let's say I had to replace them every year at four dollars a piece. I'm still probably saving money for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to completely write off the brand, and yet I will describe walking through the store as witnessing a car crash in slow motion. It's just <laughs> the the quality of some of the stuff is just mind blowingly bad. Yeah, yeah. So you know, enter at your own risk. Yeah, and exit uh, at your own risk. So. To sum it up, should we be brand loyal? No. Um, buy the no. best tool for each job? Yes. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm getting away from the summary, but the best tool for each job, do you know that by ex- general experience with the brand, by asking your friends, by playing with the store? How do you find the best? It's all of the above, I think. It's, it's you know, you, you've got to weigh all of the aspects of that is, you know, whatever's the biggest concern for you, quality, cost, utility, performance, how long it's going to last, how well it's reviewed, mm. who else you know that has it, you know, uh, I think that all weighs on it. 
Um, I think no matter what it is, the more time you've got to, to actually experience it before you throw down money and bring it home, the better. I would agree um, with all that. There are certain cases where like, you're not going to run a jointer. You're not going to try out a jointer all that much. Especially if you buy it on Craigslist, you're probably going to just go into it and realize that, the, like, especially yours, like, it's robust enough that it's fixable if something would be off. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, you know, like you said, like maybe hand power tools, not so much because you know a burnt out motor is sometimes hard to see beforehand and yeah, all that stuff. But exactly, it, and you know what? When when you're buying. $3,000 tool for $1,200 off Craigslist mm-hmm. and you, you realize, damn it, something wasn't working and I need to dump a couple hundred dollars into it. It's still a reasonably good investment. Yes. But when you're buying, when you're paying $40 for a $120 drill Craigslist and the motor's gone and it's going to cost $80 to fix. Yeah. You just wasted $40. Yeah. You might as well just buy it, buy it new. But no, I, I absolutely. I mean, I, that's what, I think all the marketplaces at these shows, woodworking shows and, and WIA and, and uh, weekend with wood get your hands on these things. That's a very good point. Um, and some of these brands like, um, Powermatic and jet and Laguna and uh, not, not Grizzly. I'm just going through the brands in my shop. Um, <laughs> Bosch, a lot of these brands are represented at the woodworking shows. Yeah. Um, so I realize they don't travel everywhere, but they travel a lot more than Woodworking America does. Absolutely. They have a lot more power tools. Um, yes. So if you can go to a show like that, if you can go to a big warehouse, if you live near one of the Grizzly warehouses, I would check them out. They just closed the one in Pennsylvania, unfortunately, which is though not close to – not necessarily close to me. was the only one I could drive to. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely. Put your hands on them. Um, ask people. Pull Twitter. You know, it just – Put online and, and say, I'm looking at this brand or this brand. Anybody have recommendations? You'll get a lot more recommendations than you want. And you'll yeah. get people who are dead set in, well, I would only go with this brand because this is the best brand or whatever. And you got, you got to weed through it and consider it. But that said, you will get some useful information. No, absolutely. So absolutely. I think we've, uh, we've talked the brand loyalty to, uh, to death. I think so. Um, where can people find us, Sean? So where will people be able to find where will people, upcoming so, upcoming stuff? So we just mentioned the woodworking shows. They're they're making their rounds, and uh, I don't have it in front of me right now where they're going to be this weekend. But I know next weekend uh, is uh, going to be in your neck of the woods in Somerset, New Jersey. Yes, they will be in Somerset, New Jersey, February nineteenth through the twenty first, and I am about eighty percent sure I will be there the nineteenth. Uh, we're traveling that weekend, but I'm pretty sure I can fit it in to stop through on Friday. The nineteenth. So if you're there, definitely uh, say hi. And um, if you can't be there when I'm there, go anyway. It's going to be a very good show. If any of you have attended the woodworking shows, they have the past four or five years since Bryce bought them, they have been making big improvements year over year over year. Um, the Chidwicks have been involved in the management of the show. Sherry mm-hmm. Chidwick is is I believe still in uh, in a management role there, even though Andy's not touring with them this year. Um, and they're really they're making good on the show. So. Um, if the woodworking shows go through your neck of the woods, it's definitely worth, I think it's at least, I don't know if the, the, the admission varies by venue, but I think it costs $10 to get in in New Jersey when I go. I, I kind of doubt it. I think it's a fairly, standard yeah, so it's, it's not expensive. Just go and, and spend the day there. 
listen to some of the classes. The guys from 360 Woodworking are giving lectures, I believe, at the entire circuit. You got Raleigh Johnson from Fine Woodworking who's talking the entire time. You want to you want to pick somebody's brain about how to tune up a tool? He is the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and if you want to see 360 um, on YouTube, they just put up a video of I think the Columbus show. Oh, okay. Just it, it really, you know, uh, a panning view of of the marketplace, and just you, to get it, if you've never been and you want to feel for it, look that up. They, I, just in the last couple of days, so it's a fairly fresh one on on three sixty woodworkings uh, YouTube channel. Okay. Um, ways, you know. And then if if New Jersey doesn't quite float your boat, and you don't want to go to Somerset, and you want to go to Des Moines, yeah, um, in in May, I, which I hear is lovely, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to going. Um, Weekend with Wood in 2016 will be in Des Moines, May 19th through the 22nd. Um, am I accurate in saying we'll both be there? I think that's the case, right? Yes. Yes. As of now, we will both be there. Okay. Um, so you can see us there. And if you have any questions about Weekend with Wood, at least in the circles I travel in, it is has been less publicized and less attended than Woodworking in America. Um, we have an episode – from over the summer with Chet Kloss. I should know the episode number. I'll try to put that in the show notes. Um, but we talked with Chet about Weekend with Wood, and it's a very interesting and seems sounds like it will be a very good weekend. So I'm really looking forward to going to Weekend with Wood. Um, and then, of course, we have Woodworking in America in Covington yep. in September. Se- yep, September 16th through 18th. Um, forgot to mention it on our last episode, but when we were talking to Keith Deason, he mentioned – uh, the meetup at the brew pub mm-hmm. that, so that's still in planning phase. We don't know the details yet, but um, definitely going to make that as fun as it could possibly be as it always is. Absolutely. Um, I can't there. speak to the evening events at weekend with wood. We'll certainly let you know, mm-hmm. but at woodworking in America, there will be something going on every night. And if Absolutely. you go to woodworking in America, the great thing about woodworking in America is not the classes as good as they are is not the marketplace as good as it is. It's the fact that you spend a weekend from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed with other woodworkers. Yep. Um, and you will miss out if you don't hang out with woodworkers at night. So <laughs> hang out with us, hang out with other guys. It doesn't really matter, but there will be things going on every night, whether you just go to the bar with a bunch of guys you met at the show during the day or whether you go to an organized event don't just go back to the hotel room. Make sure you hook up with other people. You will make friends. You will meet people who you knew online. Go to the evening events at Woodwork in America. There's nothing wrong with showing up at class with a hangover. Absolutely. And a show like that, and same with, with uh, Weekend with Wood, if you're in the area, try to go. Um, mm. I'm actually – I don't know for sure what the options are for Weekend with Wood, but the first time I was at WIA – I drove down and I was there just for the $10 admissions, kind of like the woodworking shows, you know, and I met a bunch of people there. I saw a bunch of things. I mean, it was, it was an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't have to necessarily sit through other classes to get the the majority of the experience if you're within the range, you know? Right. I, I don't think Weekend with Wood has that same just pay to get into the marketplace. I okay. don't think Weekend with Wood has a marketplace, quite frankly. Okay. Um, whereas with woodworking in America, I would certainly recommend that you get the full uh, conference pass if you can yes. because the the lecturers they bring in and the classes are very valuable and really nice guys to talk to. And you learn a lot from the classes. There's a lot besides the classes, 
Um, but the classes are well worth it, and the full conference pass is worth it. However, mm-hmm. if you're only there to, able to get there for a day, um, there's nothing wrong with getting the $10 marketplace entry and just going through the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a ball. Absolute ball. All right. So that just about wraps up the show. If you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show in iTunes. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Once you've subscribed, you'll be sure to never miss an exciting episode. While you're on iTunes, please leave us a five-star rating. It helps us rank, uh, rank up so others can find us more easily. And if you want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. Follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national. You can like the MWA on Facebook or circle Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. And while you're there, join the MWA Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. I'm Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop.blogspot.com and at SeanW78 on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. I'm Diami Plotke of PenultimateWoodshop.com. I am at Diami Plotke on the Twitters. That's D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. For the modern woodworkers, make sure your shop is all one brand, and we'll see you later. (laughs) 